If you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. While you're turning there, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you know we are in this long series called We Are. We have spent the first, the whole month of January talking about what it means when we say we are finding home in Jesus. And we talked about a lot of different facets of that. And now we're making the transition to say, what does it mean when we are finding family in Jesus? You might have noticed on the wall when you walked in that there are three statements. Find home, find family, find purpose. We believe that God has called us to be a community pursuing the healing and wholeness of Jesus by finding home, family, and purpose. So today we're entering into this first section, or this first teaching around finding family. And here's the big idea today, that if we are finding family in Jesus, we are growing disciples. We are growing disciples. Now, one more thing. Uh, This morning, we are going to meander around a little bit going to be kind of wandering around during the sermon, um, but I promise we are meandering with a purpose. So just roll with me. Sound good? All right. One of you said it sounded good. I'll take it. Colossians chapter 2. It's going to be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. It says this. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not met me in person, who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus in Lord, as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's pray. Jesus, we are gathered again in your name. We are gathered with your people to be reminded of your truth, to be formed by your spirit. God, we hear the truth sung through one another's voices. We see your image in each other's faces. And now we ask that we would be formed into your likeness through your word. That anything over the next few minutes that I say that's just my ideas, let that be noticed so we can let go of it and we can reject it. But if there's anything that I say this morning that's faithful to your word, let it echo in our hearts that we would be formed into your likeness. We love you, Jesus. Amen. How many of you here have seen the movie Australia? Two. Perfect. Perfect. Well, first off, go watch the movie Australia. I don't know. Also, there is an extended uh, mini-series that they made out of it called Far Away Downs. If you have Hulu, you can watch that. It's like the movie Australia, but even better. I don't think I'm supposed to recommend movies with the microphone on, but I'm doing it anyway. I should warn you that it's, it's the kind of movie where you're going to feel your feelings when you watch it. Like before, and Honestly, before I had a kid, nothing bothered me in a movie. I didn't cry, except for Marley and Me, because if you didn't cry in Marley and Me, you're a monster. <laughs> I mean... 
Um, but besides that, I mean, but now that I've had a kid, any movie that I watch with like father-son dynamics in it or anything like that, I am just weeping in the back. Um, last night, we watched Kung Fu Panda 3. And when the panda met his dad, I was like, it's just so beautiful. <laughs> anyway, Australia uh, is a great movie. My wife introduced me to it because she actually lived in Australia for six months. I've said this before. My wife is the cool one. I'm just the talkative one. I talk a lot. She doesn't, but she's the cool one. She studied abroad in Australia. And then after that, she joined a group of people she'd never met before and backpacked through New Zealand for a month just because she could. She has hitchhiked through Alaska. She lived in Germany. She has lived on three continents. Before I met her, I had barely been out of the South. Um, She is the cool one. And when she was in Australia, they watched this movie as part of their class because this movie tells the story of the racial tension that is part of the deep history of Australia, specifically in the 1930s and 1940s, and it follows the storyline of what was called the Stolen Generation, that were these biracial children often whose one parent was Aboriginal and one parent was of European descent, and they were taken from their homes under the guise of going to mission schools, but were often just used for labor, much like we have in our own history um, with indigenous people. Like I said, it's a heavy movie. You're going to feel your feelings if you watch it. You've been warned. Um, This movie follows the story of this young boy, this young boy whose mother is aboriginal and his father is um, of European descent. And he's about seven years old, which is exactly how old my son is, which just means that tears were in my eyes for all three hours of the movie. Um, And it follows the story of Nullah, is this young boy's name, as he's seeking to find himself. He lives with his mother, and they work for a family that owns a large ranch. And one of the themes of the movie is that Nullah needs his grandfather to take him on walkabout. Walkabout is this traditional practice in Aboriginal culture in which you pass on knowledge from one generation to the next. And there's this theme that Nullah is going to find something. He's going to become something. But because of who he is and the pressures around him, he has a really hard time. He's being prevented from going on walkabout. Now, walkabout is what sociologists would probably call a rite of passage ritual. How many of you have heard of a rite of passage ritual before? Anybody? Okay, so yeah, we're pretty familiar with that. A rite of passage ritual is common in almost every culture around the world. It's not very common in modern American and in European cultures as much in the modern world, but almost all over the world and throughout most of history, most cultures have had some sort of rite of passage. The things that fit this category that are kind of in our modern consciousness would be something like a bar mitzvah or a quinceanera. But a rite of passage ritual usually happens at a specific time or age or event in a young person's life And during this time, the community comes around this young person and celebrates this person becoming an adult. And during this process, there's a passing on of information. And there is an honoring of the growing up process. And the whole community comes around this child and celebrates and affirms 
that you are one of us. You now can handle the responsibilities of adulthood. You know what it means to live like we do. You know what it means to talk like we do. You know the stories of our people. You know the stories of our culture. You're now one of us. Does that make sense? These rite of passage rituals have been common all over the world in almost every culture. Interestingly enough, if you've been paying attention to culture for the last few years, you've probably heard people talk about how American culture, we have what's called extended adolescence. Yeah. (laughs) That for in our culture, the gap between child and adult gets longer and longer and longer as we have kind of extended the age that we still think of people as kind of teenagers, not quite grown-ups, right? We live in a time of extended adolescence. In fact, if you're a millennial, I would venture to say that you have at some point, even if you're 10 years into your career, you have felt like you are just a kid trying your best to do adult, to live like an adult, but you don't really feel like an adult sometimes. And there are some people who actually posit, they propose the idea that this exists in our culture because we don't have rite of passage rituals. Because there was never a point in most of our lives where our community gathered around us and said, this is who you are. You are now one of us. You know our stories. You carry our culture. You can handle the responsibility. We didn't have that moment that we can remember forever where the people around us that love us looked at us and said, this is who you are. So we often struggle with the idea of who we are. It's a very common, very deep struggle. So Nulla needs to go on walkabout. He needs to go on this rite of passage ritual and he needs his grandfather to take him on walkabout because there's information that he needs to know. There are things that he needs to know about what it means to live in the Australian outback. He's got to learn about the weather and the dangers. He's got to learn about the animals. He's got to learn where to find water and how to survive and how to do all of these things, this core foundational knowledge of what it means to be a person in his community and to carry the responsibility for the people around him. But it's not just learning information. Because we all know that there's a big difference between learning information, between someone telling you how to do something and someone showing you how to do something, right? We all know there's a big difference between reading the book about it versus trying it out. And we all know there's a big difference even between someone showing you how to do it versus you being able to step right behind somebody who's leading you in the way, who can turn around and gently correct you And who can show you, you know, that sound, here's what this sound means. And then can teach you the next time you hear it and can immerse you in the lessons. So that they're not just becoming what you know, they're becoming who you are. We all see that difference, right? So that's what walkabout is. Walkabout is Nulla learning not just the stories of his people. Not just the knowledge of his people but learning the ways of his people. Learning the way his people walk. 
through the outback, learning the way his people interpret the weather, learning the way his people interact with friends and family and enemies. There's a way that he has to learn to interact that goes beyond the information, but certainly includes the information. There's an ethic, there's a sense of right and wrong, but there's more than a sense of right and wrong, because it's not just about rules to follow, it's about a way of existing. It's not just the negative, don't do these things, though there is some negative. It's positive. It's we do these things. Make sense? But there's a little more to it than just rite of passage for Nulla in the story. You remember earlier I said that the story is about a, a biracial child. And for him, going on walkabout becomes not just about becoming an adult, but it becomes about finding a people. So I want to show you the opening clip of this scene. I have not showed a video clip in a sermon since I was a youth pastor, but hey, I was a youth pastor, so we're doing it. Um, We're going to watch the opening 60 seconds of this, and and I want to give you a heads up before we play this that you're going to hear some language that's going to sound kind of harsh to us. And this movie was written to give light and authentic voice to the stories of the stolen generation and Aboriginal people in this time. All of the actors in the movie um, that play Aboriginal people, Indigenous people, are Indigenous people to Australia, so the accents are accurate. The phrasing that you're going to hear is consistent to the way it would have been spoken at this time. Sound good? All right. So let's watch this clip together. My grandfather, King George, he taken me walkabout, teach me blackfellow way. Grandfather teaching me most important lesson of all. Tell him story. That day I done a billabong. King George he teach me how to catch him fish using magic song. See, I'm not black fella, I'm not white fella either. Them white fellas call me mixed blood. Half caste. Creamy. I belong no one. Like I said, you're going to feel your feelings if you watch the movie. In this story, walkabout becomes not just about becoming an adult, not just about learning information. It becomes about finding people. It becomes about who he is becoming, but it's also about where he is belonging. And he takes this journey. There's this beautiful scene later on in the movie where he's finally able to go on walkabout. And he kicks off his shoes and runs barefoot through the desert to his grandfather because he's now walking the way his people do. Interestingly enough, in the modern world, when we talk about discipleship, we are usually thinking in terms of things we need to know and rules we need to follow. So we imagine that following Jesus, 
and growing in our discipleship means gaining more information. I need to know more about God and about Scripture. And then I need to get better at not crossing the line. Now, here's the thing. There is knowledge that is part of following Jesus, and there is an ethic. There, are, there is right and wrong in following Jesus, but I think we all understand that you can know exactly where the line is in your head, but life is complicated enough that even though you know exactly what's right and wrong in your mind, sometimes life leads you to a place where you don't have any idea what it is anymore. So Paul, who wrote this letter, he wrote it to new Christians in a city called Colossae and to the surrounding area. This letter would have been passed around to new believers and house churches in the area. He writes this letter, and in this section of thought, he tells them that he wants them to grow in knowledge, that he wants them to gain this mystery and understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. But he says something first. He says that you would be encouraged in heart, and united in love. There's another translation. The New American Standard Bible translates it like this. He says that you would be knit together in the love of Christ. In other words, following Jesus is about something we know, and it is about a set of things that we believe, but it's also about a people that we belong to. And as we grow in discipleship, we grow in being knit together as a people. Following Jesus is something that we do together because it is about who you're becoming, but it's also about where you belong. And as we grow, as we are built up, as we are rooted and built up in Christ, we grow deeper in where and who we belong to and how we behave. It's almost like the things we know don't carry as much significance if there's not a people that we know the things with. If we are growing disciples, then that means we are people who are finding family in Jesus. That means that we are a people. I am not a person who follows Jesus. I am part of a people that follows Jesus. You remember we did a whole series called Y'all in the Fall where we said when the Bible's talking to you, it's usually talking to y'all because it almost always assumes that we are together. When we are growing in discipleship, we are finding where and who we belong to as followers of Jesus. But then... Paul goes on and he talks about the mystery and he talks about the knowledge. And then he says, because you have accepted Christ as Lord, because you have received Jesus as Lord, live in him. Once again, the New American Standard Bible translates it, walk in him. This is what I want to tell you this morning. And it's simple. Following Jesus is not just about a set of things that we believe though it is a set of things we believe. And growing in followership of Jesus is not just about gaining knowledge, though there is knowledge that we want to gain and an understanding that we want to deepen. Following Jesus is about a way that we exist in the world. A way that we, as his people, exist in the world. There is a way that the people of Jesus treat their enemies that's different from the rest of the world. 
There is a way that the people of Jesus interact with resources, money, time, that's different than the rest of the world. There is a way that the people of Jesus extend forgiveness that's different than the rest of the world. There is a way that followers of Jesus look at other people that refuses to objectify them in lust or in any sort of using because they're made in the image of God. And it's different from the rest of the world. There is a way that defines the people of God. And listen, that way extends across cultural expressions and nationalities, but there is a unifying way that we live. And as we grow in our discipleship to Jesus, we grow in our ability to walk in his way. And as followers of Jesus, we don't necessarily have a a rite of passage ritual. We don't necessarily have walkabout, but we have discipleship. And if you read the stories of discipleship in scripture and you read the letters of Paul as he's talking to the church, he's always talking to a family of people who are learning to live away together. He's always talking to a community that's learning to express this way and this culture together. There is a way that we exist in the world because we are the people of Jesus. Do you see what I mean? There are things that we believe and an understanding that we have that expresses itself in a unique way that we exist in the world. And growing as disciples is not just growing in our ability to follow the rules, though I hope as we follow Jesus we are far from sin. And as we are growing in our discipleship to Jesus, it's not just about deepening our knowledge, though I hope we are marinating in Scripture and deepening our understanding and knowledge of Scripture. It's growing in our ability to embody the way that Jesus walked in the world. We are rooted in him, rooted, deeply rooted in connection to this people and built up in his way. This is what it means to be growing disciples. This is what it means to be people who are finding family in Christ. Because following Jesus is something that we can believe, but not pursue growth in. Can we all acknowledge that? That it is actually, it is possible for me to not choose to embrace the growth that God calls me to. It's actually possible for me to deepen my understanding of the information of Scripture without deepening the way that I live in the world. It's possible for me to deepen my knowledge without forming my identity as expressed in a way of living. But we are people who commit to the way of Jesus to be deeply formed in his way so that we live, we walk, we speak more and more closely as he would if he were living our lives. Pastor Hank at Boiling Springs would say, we know, we are knowing, and we are growing. And then Paul beautifully concludes this thought, this section, by telling us that this life overflows with thankfulness. That there's this cultural characteristic of God's people. That a life deeply formed in Christ, rooted in him, knitted together in unity with his people, anchored in the truth of the love for us, expresses in thankfulness that our posture towards the world is gratitude.
So here's how we're going to conclude today, conclude our teaching time. We are going to conclude by participating in one of the rituals, if you will, that Christians have done for as long as there have been Christians. We are going to remember with gratitude, overflowing with thankfulness, the death and resurrection of Jesus through the act of communion. We are going to remember with our bodies. Remember, because following Jesus is a way, which means there are things we think with our mind and things we do with our bodies that are part of the way of Jesus. So we are going to remember with our bodies, with our taste and sense of smell and touch, the death and resurrection of Jesus today. And here's the invitation in just a few moments as we come forward to receive communion. The invitation is for you to receive communion and receive it as an act of commitment to growing as a disciple. Receive it as an act of commitment saying, your body and your blood for me, that I will live in your way. I would actually encourage you to whisper those words to yourself as you receive communion. The body and blood for me, that I would live in your way. As we prepare for communion, the information that you need to know is that we will be receiving by the process of intinction, which means that we take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and we consume both together. All of our bread is gluten-free, so if you have a gluten allergy, then it is safe for you to eat. And as we prepare for communion, on the night Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And after giving thanks, he said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat, do so in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of a new covenant poured out for the salvation of many. Every time you drink, do so in remembrance of me. As we prepare for communion, And as we receive communion, we're going to do so in relative silence, taking the time of quiet to ask the Lord to invite us more deeply into his way of living. The table is open and you are invited.